0: Welcome, this is Mippet Marketing and I am your host, Rachel Claver. I love helping small business owners become more confident and more capable with their marketing. So this podcast is all here to help you do just that. It's me and the help of some great guests helping you learn new skills, new strategies and ideas. Let's jump in and get started. There's just something about a beautiful coat. I have a slight addiction. Well, I love clothes, but I especially love beautiful coats. And find the perfect one for you can just transform so many of your outfits into something that is just so stunning and memorable. So you can tell I'm going to like this this guest today. In 2019, Claire Williamson launched Valma and Beverly, a bespoke coat and jacket company becoming really well-known around in particular circles for its bold use of colourful wool and the option to select a cotton lining that best fits your own personal style. So every one is potentially different from the next one. The ability to showcase New Zealand wool and then create a garment that is bought from people all over the world is a huge delight to Claire. She grew up in the king country and she still holds a huge passion for farming, so much so that she also serves on the board of Rural Woman New Zealand, and she co-hosts a podcast called Black Heels and Tractor Wheels. Great name, by the way, highlighting some of the incredible rural women in New Zealand. She's also a financial advisor. She's also got all sorts of other bits and pieces that she does. She is a true powerhouse in terms of business, and I was amazed at how much she's just able to fit in and. Looks like a relatively sane and calm and relaxed person. Amazing. Today we talked to to Claire about what she's learned about starting her own clothing line, how she's worked out what to outsource and what to keep control of, how she's marketed it, how she balances it with the rest of her life, and what she's planning for it as it grows. It's a great little story about how you can start a side hustle and have it grow there and still have it going while you're doing other things. But also how you can still have big dreams for it and see other ways to grow without compromising your desire to keep that something sustainable, keep that made-to-measure feeling, and keep it quite small and bespoke as you move forward. It's a great little podcast. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi and welcome to another episode of Map It Marketing. I'm your host Rachel Claver, and I'm so thankful that you've joined us today. I am with someone today who's going to help me talk about one of my passions in life which is really seeing rural communities and rural businesses thrive especially here in New Zealand or if you're listening in Australia you know that our rural communities are so important and often we look at things in urban centers and we go oh this is really cool but we're missing all this really cool stuff. So so Claire, who's, who's going to be with us in a minute, is going to share that with us before she jumps on and introduces herself and talks to us about her beautiful business, which is called Valma and Beverly. i got that right, Claire? You have. I wrote Thalma originally and I was like, no, no, it's it's Valma. It's and then I was like, it's like Valma sh- like in um, Scooby-Doo. It is. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, was like, I remember it from that. So, um, But before she jumps on, if you've got questions or you want to talk to other like-minded business people, do come and be part of our group, Map It Marketing, on Facebook. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just search for it on Facebook and it'll come up. And of course, I'm going to do a cheeky little plug for my book, Be a Spider build a Web, which is all about how to help you build content marketing to your business. And it's actually also about how to build a really authentic business that you'll love with all the mistakes that I made. So you can learn from me. Um, so there's a link to that show notes, or you can Google Be a Spider build a Web or find it on Amazon. There's my plug. Okay, right. Without much further ado, um, Claire, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me today, Rachel. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm super excited about this. So um, you're Claire Williamson, and you have a business called Valma Valma and Beverly, which makes delectable wool products, which you're going to talk about. Um, but I just like everyone to know who you are, because you also have a podcast, and I think we should tell people about that podcast too. Uh,
1: I do, I do. So, I'm also involved with Rural Woman New Zealand, and we have a podcast called Black Heels and Tractor Wheels, and we tell stories of rural women from around Aotearoa So it's pretty exciting. It's uh, we're now into our fourth season. So please join us if you can. Um, but Valma and Beverly, and um, the story is. Uh, multi-pronged, really. I have always had a passion for wool for, for many, many years. My mother actually did a, a project on it for Kellogg's about 10 or 15 years ago, and I think that it sparked something in me to create a product that was going to add value to wool in the future. So I basically, these days, Valmer and Beverly is a bright, colourful wool coat uh, business It's quite small still, unique coats, um, and we've got a couple of styles and many colours now. We try to launch two new colours each year. Um, and it's called Varum Beverly because it's named after my grandmothers. I wanted to have um, some provenance in the business. And, yes, sometimes people think that my grandmother's names are a little bit strange, but um, I love them, and it does make for a little bit of a different business title.
0: <laughs> I think it's great. My mother's name, is she's Dutch, is Schiechska. So I'm very thankful that I haven't named my business anything because no one would know how to pronounce it. But I think that i is really gorgeous. And I do think, like, wool is such a timeless product. And at last, like, if you get a woolen product, it lasts. So having names that are from a little bit, of yesteryear actually makes it quite perfect
1: yes it does and they were also both um massive sewers they all made their own clothes they looked after their families um and I think I just really wanted to have a little bit of that in in the story of the business it's very it was very much a a passion project which evolved into something a little bit more um and so it's nice to have their names out there and I think I feel just special to be able to connect them back into what we do every day
0: So, you have this rural podcast, and you obviously have that real passion for rural. Are you a rural dweller yourself? Do you live rurally?
1: I am, I, I, I am rural lifestyle at the moment, so I'd like to say I'm a pretend farmer, so I have, your lifestyle uh, as a pretend farmer, I, yes, <laughs> I have uh, sheep, sheep and, and some cattle and, and chickens and things like that and I live rurally just out of Cambridge, but my long term goal is to buy a farm, my parents are sheep and beef farmers and have been my entire life, so that's where my inspiration comes from and I'm grateful to have a lot of people around me, particularly rural women and um, in my sort of wider network um, who are really helping support me in that in that venture so yeah one day I'm going to be growing and and selling animals and wool to the world, um, but at the moment I have partnered with some fantastic farmers who have real sustainable goals. Um, Pallister Ridge down in the Wadarapa and also um, the Grumpy Merino down in Canterbury. What so just name. yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> plug plug for her as well. Both of those businesses run um, other bits and pieces in in with our partnerships. So
0: are those? So that's a woman-led business, the Grumpy Merino Yes. Because so, yep. that's one of the things I am quite interested in because I mean, we met, we talked briefly that years ago I wrote a book called She'll Be Right about women who work in farming. And one of the things that happened there, and this is years ago, so this is like 2006, um, and I so I probably was interviewing in 2005 because one of the things that we talked about then was that women who were on farms, um, they either were choosing to have a business that was separate um, or if they had been thrown into running the farm, they often found that because of their husband had died or illness or something like that, which did happen, um, that often that there was poor record keeping and they were kind of thrown into something. And so many of them were starting to actually go, no, I need to have my own thing, my own business, I'm too... It's too hard to find something that I'm awesome doing. Do you think that there is a groundswell, like a continued growth of rural developed business businesses now in New Zealand?
1: Definitely, and it's something we've been exploring a lot at Rural Women New Zealand because obviously we are now servicing a very different demographic to what we did yeah. 30 or 40 years ago. So, yes, these little businesses are popping up left, right, and centre, I think, partly um, aimed at a lot of women who have had children, have had careers um, prior to having children and then want something for themselves, something to grow, something to sort of be their new baby <laughs> yeah, and, and be able to support them. But the other thing that I think is really interesting is In farming, we are going through a massive period of change, right? So there's a lot of regulation, a lot of changes with um, carbon targets and water, and 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 a bunch of other things um, where farmers are going to have to change and adapt. And what that means is that land use is changing as well. So you see a lot of accommodation providers pop up, a lot of businesses like mine that are product based, a lot of direct to consumer. Hey, we can have a butcher on farm. We've got a beautiful one locally called Holy Cow, and often women are the driver of these businesses. So what it often does is it means that that equality um, across, I suppose, the overall use of the land um, really comes to the fore. And so often the, the animals are managed by, Perhaps the man and then this front end business, the marketing, um, the driving, the growth, um, often the is ma- managed yeah, yeah, the face, yeah, the sales, I suppose, is managed yeah. by by a wife or, or a woman. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. I
0: think, it's <laughs> I think. it is a partnership. And it's funny because until you said that I'd actually forgotten that one of the things I found in my book is the older woman that I interviewed had 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 to go through this weight of wanting to be entrepreneurs or wanting to be business owners, but they were stuck in that the farming woman space of we had to wear white gloves and bring scones to the teas and things like that, and that was the expectation. Or that like this is like way back. Like this is not like in the two thousands. But I really <laughs> love like this that that it is now becoming this thing where there is this innovation going on. Yeah. Awesome. So let, let's talk about your coats. How is that innovation showing up in that
1: for you? So I think one of the biggest challenges I had initially was finding a way to make this wool into some fabric and personally I wanted to keep that whole process in New Zealand Aotearoa because I wanted to make sure that I knew it would have to be a high-end product um, and that people would pay for it because it's long-lasting so that journey was quite tough and in the end I literally rang a firm I googled it I rang a firm up in Auckland and I said have you got any off cuts they originally made fabric for upholstery and so I just Use some of that. We made up a couple of samples. I started getting comments on it, and I went, this has got legs. Let's give it a go. So I pre-sold a bunch of coats. That allowed me enough time, enough um, money to basically do my first run. Um, and at the same time, I snapped my Achilles tendon. And that was both good and bad because, as you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you run around like a headless chicken. And it gave me time to basically provide an online presence to that business and also – Gave me a little bit of money too to support the purchase yeah. of some fabric, so it
0: was meant to happen. Obviously,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So with this, like, because obviously it is quite a small because it, the price point's high. But it has to be new, anything that's New Zealand produced; it's going to be higher. It. I mean, it's just one of those things. But also, it's partly the brand, right? Yeah, um, and and the uniqueness as well. Yeah, and and I think that is. I mean, I think one of the things that people often shy away with is. And not understanding that there is always going to be a market for people who are prepared to pay more for something that's truly beautiful.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I think I think with the low waste fashion movement, um, and, and obviously wanting to keep things and supporting Aotearoa, but particularly I think over that COVID period where we all wanted to give back to New Zealand businesses, um, there's a lot more fashion coming out of women-led sole operation businesses where the price point is $250 for a top and $550 for a coach and mm-hmm. things like that, where there was New Zealand designers but their, um, their fashion was actually made offshore um, – that kind of new age, I suppose, is coming through in the New Zealand fashion industry, which I think is really exciting because often those ladies are using beautiful fabrics, like you say, a beautiful garment, something that's unique. It's going to last for a long time. And it's just, it's fabulous because we are getting away from that, I suppose, fast fashion. um, Let's have everything under the sun kind of feel, (laughs) which is nice.
0: I feel like there's been a cultural shift too where people feel it's okay to have something that you are buying. Like I always think now, when I'm buying stuff, I'm trying to go, is this something I'm going to want in 10, 15, 20 years time? Is it something that is really who I am and what I like? And if it is, then that becomes a thing I want to buy. Um, and, and I think, like, I, what I love is I see my daughters, I've got Generation Z daughters, and they have that. So even though they're on student budgets or little budgets, they'd rather save and get a really beautiful thing that they're going to wear over and over and over again than get a whole lot of fast fashion to fill their wardrobe. And I do think there's been a shift, which is really nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the prevalence of um, online influencer marketing. So Ethically Kate comes to mind. Yes. She she makes it really normal to be wearing things over and over again. But the other part of it, I think, as well, is. New Zealand women, and this is in what I've seen in my research, they don't tend to wear color as often as, mm-hmm. as I would like to see, but you know, that's just me personally. But there's some beautiful, amazing stylists now on Instagram as influencers, so I follow Chasing Kate and she's done a yes. wardrobe audit for me. And um, what that means as well is you can pick pieces that are gonna fit in with your wardrobe for the long term. So she was fantastic, I bought a couple of things that complemented what I already had, mm-hmm. and now I feel amazing every time I go out and step out into the world and so I think that's a, a way to I suppose eliminate that waste aspect as well um, yeah. you know so it's uh-huh. buy
0: the things you're going to wear but also buy the stuff that's going to fit with the other things <laughs> yeah and I think that is I think that, that is that thinking through or the versatility of something's really good and one of the things I really noticed too which I think is quite gutsy for a small business size especially because people often say that you can't do it small is you have quite a big size range. Yes well our currently our coats are all made to
1: order mm. and we did that because um, to give you an example I've spoken to a lot of people and they say oh the sleeves are too short or or I'm taller than my size or and I kind of went you know we're small why can't we cater to those people and I've had I've had ladies buy three because they can get that extension on their arms like You know, it's just a standard thing. It's so true, though, right?
0: Like I've got my limbs, I've got really big arms, and so everything else is smaller, like a lot smaller. And then I have to size up to the arms. And I have bought to order purely because it means I can change my upper arm size. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we're not a tailoring service. Don't get me wrong, but we do take measurements just to make sure that yeah, if something is going to be way too short or way too long, then we can we can adjust. We also do our best to fit in with any. Shape or size, because I believe that every woman's got the chance mm-hmm. should have the chance to feel beautiful in what they wear, and so um, so again we do have a large size range because I want to cater to as many people as possible. Um, it's not always possible, but everything we can do we do do in that respect. So yes, it is a bit unusual, but
0: yeah, <laughs> and I think that yeah. is I think that sort of thing around they're not possible. Like I um I. I have worked within the plus size community, and I know some people go, Oh, it's not inclusive if it's not, you know, size 32 or plus. But there is a difficulty, like I've worked with plus size designers the cut becomes different once you reach different size and that becomes, that's a whole different level of knowledge as well. Like you, there are, there are shifts and changes, but I, I really applaud you for doing that broad range because it's capturing a large amount of potential people who are going to do it. And I think it's a really gutsy thing to do because it's very easy to go, I'm just going to do size six to 14 or whatever and not have that there, which is good. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you market your product. Like, is it word of mouth or, like, where does it come from?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, really, given that we're still small. Yeah. So partner partnering with other rural-based women-led businesses has been really big for us. It's something that we've seen really successful across a bunch of different businesses as, as well as our own. Um, we market it on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and generally, it's always about how is this product going to make you feel? Um, it's going to make you feel beautiful. Here are the the options that you've got. Um, you know, talk to us if you have any questions. Those kind of things. Um, but equally, I've also tried to kind of go out. I mean, advertising when you're a small business is really challenging. It is. So, um, so we we actually have tried to partner some advertising pieces with. Um, with offerings for certain parts of our community. So, for example, we advertise in Shepherds, which is a a magazine that goes out to rural women. And because there are a lot of women in that space who want to support uh, rural-led women businesses, so therefore we're able to sort of capitalise on that. We have tried a few other things, uh, which is like a couple of ready-made options for our coats, which, which was helpful. Um, so people like to be able to just buy and and go, which is awesome, cool, that's great. Um, and then also we've been involved in a few small little campaigns. Um, one I did last year was We Shop Matters, which was the ANZ campaign. Um, And that's been fantastic as well. But I think the biggest, um, where we've gotten the biggest traction um, was actually early on in the New Zealand Made Products group. Which was oh, um, on Facebook Choice, yeah. yeah, before it became Choice in yeah. and that was the that was the beginning for and
0: us. I, so many people had huge impact just during that lockdown time, and during that time, it's not like that so much now. Like I, you know, people say that they're not getting that result or whatever, but it did. It was for the moment. It was like this beautiful gift to so many makers who were really unable to have a voice for a long time, and people wanted to buy. And use New and on product, and they didn't. They weren't going. Like I see a lot more comments, you know, with like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I know it's hand knitted, but why is it over two hundred dollars?" You know, whereas, but then it was like, "Love it, buy it, I'll help you." And I feel like there was this beautiful groundswell of support for people who are makers.
1: Yeah, yeah. felt it felt so good too. I remember the the day that my post blew up. I had over fifteen hundred shares
0: overnight,
1: wow. and yeah, and just. Unimaginable amount of comments, and I had all my friends messaging me um, saying, "Oh, you must be thrilled!" And I had no idea what was going on because I was at my parents' <laughs> house in lockdown, and they didn't have reception. I mean, and I know I went for a walk up the hill, and all of a sudden my phone blew up, and I went, "What is going on?" And my parents just could not get their heads around the fact that people were buying my coats. Without me doing anything, (laughs) yeah, that is um, a
0: magic thing, right? It was magic, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess for you, like, because it is. I mean, people may buy another one, like you said, someone's mentioned three, but it is an investment. So it's not like it's not like fast fashion where you can go great. You bought one now. Three months later, do you want to buy another one? It doesn't work Mm. so much, does Mm. it?
1: Not in the same way. We've found that every time we've launched a new color or a new style, Ah, um, people have you know wanted to to. Part put that into their wardrobe mm-hmm. um we've also got some other plans around um building some wool based products in and around the coats so things like blazers um suits yeah. those kind of things but still bit based out of wool because I don't see a lot of that around um none of it's made in New Zealand even if it is around so yeah I, I think that'll expand our um our reach to a slightly different type of woman. So if I think about myself um, as a day-to-day professional woman, um, a, a colourful suit or a colourful blazer or a colourful skirt or a colourful pair of really nice pants. Colorful, massive. Well, Amazing.
0: Amazing. Mm. And so mm. we've talked about New Zealand. Have you had overseas orders or overseas interests as well?
1: Funnily enough, we have. So we got we had a few in Australia at the start. Um, and then we've had a couple from the US. I've got I've actually got no idea where they came
0: from. That's not very good Magic. marketing, is it? But oh no, um, you know, is amazing. And it's amazing. It's hard sky. to ask, though, isn't it? Like you don't want to go, oh, oh, this is so exciting. Can you please tell me where you heard from me? Because you want to be like, hey, well, we have US orders all the time. You want to
1: be yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, this beautiful man from somewhere in the south of the US emailed us and he said, I know it's going to be expensive to send, so you charge me whatever it costs you to send. Um, and in the end, it, was, it wasn't too bad, but it was probably still 120 bucks to send it. And, um, yeah, and he was just – he was fantastic. He was over the moon. So I think it's just – yeah, it's just targeting the right people. Um, and I think with the offshore, you know, the New Zealand story is still pretty strong, yeah, um, strong, particularly in the US. So, yeah, it's somewhere we could go in the future, but we'd have to, we have to charge shipping. Um, offshore, yeah. whereas in New Zealand we we include well, shipping. I worked with you know,
0: a guy who yeah. um, during during the COVID period actually, and he does um, 3D lifestyle, uh, 3D sized um, steel sculptures. Some of them are like twenty five, thirty five thousand dollars each. Oh wow! And like they, they they are like of lambs and and mowers and all sorts of things, and um, he has people buying them overseas and shipping them. He had someone who bought like seven for a desert um, place in Alabama. I know I've got the wrong place now because I don't think deserts are in Alabama. But he got like seven, like seven, or Utah. I don't know. I'm mixing up my things. But he got like seven at like buying them. So I'm just saying don't let that be a stopper for you. They don't care about the freight. Like if it's that level of that, mm,
1: yes, absolutely,
0: luxury product. And luxury product people don't worry about that if they want the product.
1: Mm yeah exactly yeah yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. i mean it's we still want new zealanders to buy them too but i'm just saying like honestly i that and i we've got you know with another client who sells mainly woolen products over in the uk and us and they don't have a problem with the pricing and the shipping Mm. yeah yeah i love that so you could just like explode (laughs) so so you have this this isn't your full-time gig though is it or it is
1: no, it's no. not my full time gig. I uh, yeah, I started it as a as a passion project, and I now have um, Phoebe, who's fantastic. She's actually one of our New Zealand rowers, oh, and awesome. she um, she does a lot of the customer service work, um, social media, the orders and stuff for us. Um, and then I have a fantastic sewer who's based here in the Waikato as well. Um, and she does all of the sewing for us. So we're actually looking for a new sewer. So anyone here that hears this um, who is very good at um reading a pattern, cutting, doing things from start to finish, um, we sort of don't really do the uh multiple, you know, garments at a time type yeah. thing. It's more of a garment at a time. Um, yeah, we're looking for someone else. Um, but yeah, I sort of oversee the the, the partnerships and the connections and, and things like that and sort of set the direction.
0: The operation. Then, yeah. Mm.
1: Operation. Yeah. 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 And then in my day job I'm a mortgage advisor.
0: So And <laughs> I guess a- that more the mortgage advising would give you flexibility to be able to run this as well because it's not it does. be there, you know, it's, it can fit around. It isn't mm. it is a really interesting thing because I feel that with a business like yours, it is something that is very hard to run as a solopreneur without having external help somewhere in that path, especially if you're cutting and you know sewing. Yeah,
1: I think the two parts for sure. You've got to, you really got to have, if you can, have someone doing the sewing and someone managing the the operational part, um, the customer service and, and the marketing and the sales, because um, they are quite different mm-hmm. skill sets, and not everyone wants to do both as well. So. I always knew that I probably wouldn't be good enough at sewing to do the sewing side. Um, I made my first, um, like, prototype, (laughs) and then from there I realised that taking – Ten to fifteen hours per coat was probably just not going to be viable, <laughs> no,
0: and probably cause um,
1: stress. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: Because I, um, I, I, I interview quite early on in my podcast, um, a woman from Adelaide. She has a business called Coverage Clothing, and she does the to order thing. She's only started doing ready made, but she, do you do pre orders? Like, if you've got a range, do you do like here's it, and so you can get a whole, you get an idea of how much fabric? Because I can imagine like yeah. buying fabric is a bit of a balance as well isn't it because you don't massive wanna, you don't want to not buy it and then find that someone else went and bought it and yeah makeup. well
1: mm, no so with fabric we well with the wool fabric it's made yes. for us um there's minimums we have to just stick with the minimum so minimums, we just yeah. yeah so we just we ask our, our um, community what colors they'd like we come up with sort of three or four and oh then no, we get people no. to pick two and then that's sort of based on that then we open pre-sales and then we move things forward from there this year unfortunately the timing hasn't worked out that well because oh. just because of um, backups and delays but, um, but, yeah, that's how the wool fabric in terms of the lining fabric, um, yeah, that that we buy and then we put on the website, so we know we've got it., um, and again, we actually keep the the fabric orders quite small because we want the uniqueness. So if people miss out on one print, they can usually get something that's similar-ish but not the same because we really do want to to create uniqueness for the customer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There is something really beautiful about having a gorgeous lining on the inside that's like a little pop of surprise.
1: I just think it's amazing. I've even had some of the linings in my older – Jackets and blazers and stuff changed to my to these cotton linings because the other thing that I was really strong on is having the natural fabric element, and particularly with the lining, because in a standard coat, look, um, not knocking a standard coat oh. or anything, but ha- they always have the polyester type synthetic yes. linings and you get quite sweaty in yeah. them and I've it's been a problem for me for years maybe I'm just a massive sweater I don't know but I've always yeah, struggled with it it's
0: not showing on the podcast video and
1: so um so that was actually one of the really big things I wanted when I and I originally looked at silk and then I decided on cotton because of the pattern element and because we could have so many different options so I sourced that through a wholesaler um up in Auckland and they do import because you can't you can't make cotton in New Zealand, but they import cotton. Um, so everything's made in New Zealand. The wool fabric comes from New Zealand, but um that's the best that we can do until we start growing cotton. But yeah, it's it's really important for me to have that natural fabric element as well. And our little um Notions, so our toggles, and our buttons, we actually get them made by a lovely gentleman down south, who was making something else quite random. And I emailed him and I said, "Can you make us toggles?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let us know what you want. So he makes them out of native t- native timber for us, little bits and pieces it. that are left over. Yeah. So it's I just so I love that. It. So, so special. Yeah. And,
0: and I guess that's that the provenance, like being out of being able to talk about those things, is what makes the product so special, right? Like. For me, like hearing those stories, I'm always surprised at people who you you hear those stories, but they don't appear in marketing anywhere because that's the thing that makes me so excited about a product is when you go, oh, you almost buy it for the toggles.
1: Yeah, if you're a if you're a native tree like fiend or you love wood, yeah. you're gonna go, oh my gosh, I can get rainbow toggles on my
0: coat. That is um, pretty cool actually. Yeah.
1: And the other thing that we, we really love is so Palliser Ridge, who is our original wool partner, so they've um, Romney Lamb's wool, which we make into our coats, and they have an incredible sustainability plan. So they've actually got um a new certification, which is essentially largely a regenerative type certification. But they also retire so much land, planting natives. Um, Like I just visited recently, and I've got some beautiful footage of um, of the the new plantings that they've done. And it's big, it's Mm. it's extensive, and it's just all good stuff, you know, contributing towards the reforestation of. Native bush is, is awesome, and I just I want that to be the positive story um when we hear so much about carbon farming and it kind of being a bit bit of a disaster in some oh, ways.
0: I, think, well, <laughs> yeah. I honestly think that there are so many amazing rural businesses and rural farms that are doing this thing so right. Like I worked with a uh, furniture manufacturer in New Zealand who uses native timber, and they have a huge regenerative approach to it, like they will only buy. If it's either like river river remo, so it's already like somewhere lost, um, or if it's somewhere where they know that it's going to be regenerated and it's got that, and I love that because this it's this thing of us all being caretakers of our environment, you know, and having that seen in our products is such a powerful message.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's and there's a lot of farmers now planning for the 100 years, you know, mm-hmm. setting up woodlots, tōtara, rimu, some of our other beautiful timbers, and saying, I know that I'm not going to see this in my generation. This that's is not a right. pine tree to be harvested in 35 years. This is something that we're going to look at in 100 years. And I think the more farmers that that get on to doing that, the better things are going to be for New Zealand in, yeah, in sort of that 100-year period. Yeah. You've got
0: to have all the toggles you want. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> my daughter will have to run that business yeah she'll be doing it she'll be doing it with the
0: toggles. she'll be like Man, my mother made me do these toggles and I don't know yeah. I've got this new thing that we found so that we could do recently but no we're still doing the roommate toggles yeah no they're fabulous so what's next for you with um Balmer and Beverly are you happy with where it's sitting or do you have you got other what, what do you want to do with it
1: um, I think the the um, sort of diversification of products um, that I talked about earlier is probably number one on the list. Um, so that'll just be providing some different fabric, um, which is likely to be merino, as I mentioned before. And then, yeah, building in some slightly different niche um, customers, as well as that um, just probably bringing in another style for next season, uh, we've got a fantastic pattern maker um, and just probably ensuring that sustainability of our supply chain as well. It's been a little bit challenging with COVID and a couple of other things um, in Auckland. Interweavers is, is, to my knowledge, one of the only weavers that, that do um, weaving for wool in New Zealand and with wool becoming... Um, a lot more popular, and there's a bit of a resurgence. They um, are getting busy, and so you have you've got six to eight month lead times, which is challenging when you're a small yeah. business. So, yeah, so it's about um, you know, div- diversifying a little bit, but also changing up those product offerings a little bit. I think um, sticking with what works, and I mean, all of our styles are still going really well. Um, we've got new colours that we've just launched. So, yeah, all of those things. And then probably um, some, maybe some events. I would love to partner with some other businesses and just lift up as many people as I can. Um, that, that's what I do every day, really. Inspire people to create a bit more magic in their lives.
0: I was just going to ask about the fact that you're in a rural area. And obviously, Cambridge is is not, you know, you're close to Cambridge and there's also Hamilton's so your you're close to centers where it's easy to ship things out of but do you think that the one of those barriers for rural businesses which used to be that being away from everything has really dropped off like that isn't such a big deal anymore
1: i think one of the biggest problems that i see come up for rural based business, product-based mm. businesses is um the shipping costs mm. so if they've offered Very if that you more. know if it, particularly if you've got a lower value product if you're shipping out a, a product as opposed to a $500 product the shipping just really eats into your bottom line and a lot of consumers don't like the shipping added option as well so I've seen a lot of chat on Instagram groups and Facebook groups about how to make that better and I think if there was a a perfect solution um, from a postage perspective I think that's probably one of the number one challenges but in saying that it's a very creative space too when you're isolated and you haven't got that sort of you know, held in feeling that you can get in urban centres, there are is a lot more creativity. So whistle and pop, which is also done in Canterbury and the Hakata Tamiya Valley, um, they she's just constantly, you know, it's out out in the in the fields and wearing the products and it's just a beautiful place to be. So the consumer loves that too, yes. right? Yes. Um but yeah, I think more of these collective type shops, um, helps. So in Hamilton, we've got one. I know they've got one in, in Christchurch, um, and in some other of the smaller towns as well, where a lot of these makers come together and, and it becomes, yeah, sort of a collective of, small businesses that want to sell similar type products, um, yeah. and that can be done online or in person um, as well. So, it's a, yeah, it's a hard one because it's about managing costs um, and making sure that the product's still really good um, and that that you can still get all of those things or raw materials as well delivered to you um yeah 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 Mm. because I
0: I actually think I was remembering I used to um stop off there used to be one in NATI. I haven't been through there for a while Mm. They had this one and and, you know some of the stuff when there was outstanding and like wow some of it was like quite eclectic and but Mm. I I bought stuff from there because there's there's something magical about going into a group of a co-op of a whole lot of people creating product and going actually that really speaks to me or I really love that and there's kind of something magical about it and I I imagine like, as someone who also used to live rurally, there is something nice about those groups too, because it's a way of connecting with other people. Because it is still, you know, as much as rural living is really amazing, sometimes it can also feel a bit isolating, especially good. Yeah, young
1: kids. absolutely. And, and actually, it's something we address at Rural Women New Zealand a lot because our older. Branch structure, which has functioned so well for for many years, some of the the newer members um, want different things, want different types of events, um, want to connect in different ways, want to be inspired in different ways, and so it's all about looking at what those membership options might look like, and that connects into the rural communities because I have a real belief that if women are looked after, the community flourishes because oh, often they definitely. are the yeah, yeah they the, the head of the family or the, or you know in terms of the and management and the, the, yeah, the lunch
0: thing, the holding yes. the emotional labour of making yes. sure the ones in the right place, yes, and making sure everyone's where they're meant to be. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um. Another thing I just want to ask around that around accessibility is: is there still a problem with like? Because obviously, so much now of of small business and innovation and in business, and you know, you you sell online is being able to hit those, being online and having that cell phone reception and having those things, is there still an accessibility issue in general in rural areas for those things,
1: like rural (laughs) broadband? Yes, yeah, so you'll be surprised. I am the I am the technology portfolio convener for Rural Women New Zealand. Oh, and so are you? Connect, connectivity is my jam. Um, and unfortunately, everyone's going to go to you, sleep as we start talking yeah, about this. Yeah, it's Let's not. Yeah, but so so in a nutshell, um, the answer is it is not fixed. Um, Nothing. there are definitely issues. What what we've sort of got to in terms of um the industry wide approach is that some rural broadband, some satellite, um, some where they going, you're going to be able to get a slightly different type of um, like a, what we call a wireless service provider, oh, yes. so line yep. of sight type. Yep. So it just depends on the area and, and what's best. It is getting better, mm. um, but there are still so many places where there's no cell phone reception, it's a safety problem. You know, there's so many offshoots of that. Um, but if we come back to business, I think that more and more we're seeing slightly faster internet connections and being able to run things online. And I'm not hearing from the younger, newer businesses that connectivity is a barrier as such but there could still be barriers to connection and we know that they exist because we are advocating for yes. them at rural women. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of both, I think.
0: Well, <laughs> let me just make you feel better because I used to live in North Lowburn in North Canterbury and I'm just going to tell you that back then, that's when I wrote that, the books about farming, so the early 2000s, my current internet at home in Auckland, to live on the Hibiscus Coast, um, is worse than it was back then because we live with we just live in a little pocket like there's barely any cell phone reception or anything I'm in the suburbs so you know it's not just rural New Zealand some of us yeah some of us I'm sorry that I said that I'm an Aucklander because everyone's gonna lie, but some of us Aucklanders are doing it tough too <laughs> yeah but I, no you, you're exactly I, I used to be a real yeah. so you know don't hate on me real drivers but like it is it's crazy yeah. like it's not just it's it's crazy that it's pockets where you just can't get it
1: yep Yep, I mean the the previous CA of Internet New Zealand lives south west, I think, Auckland, mm. um, and he had the exact same story. I'm in a pocket with no reception. So heard about it in Wellington and lower and upper Hutt. Yep. Um, it's just yeah it's crazy but you know
0: we Mm. can still do things we can walk to the end of the driveway and take a call so it's actually okay our driveways however are not a kilometer and a half long so (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) this is a great little walk down to the mailbox yeah um this has been really lovely If, if people are wanting to get hold of a coat or see your beautiful coats do you do markets by the way i mean you probably don't have time to do markets
1: unfortunately not at this stage okay. yeah events in the future probably partnered with other businesses um, but like not at this stage the markets.
0: markets yeah, yeah. so yeah. so people want to have a look at your products they'd go to your website so what would
1: that be nz.
0: perfect and i'll make sure it's in the show notes and they can also find you on instagram
1: yep at Valmer and Beverly on Facebook, Valmer and Beverly. And if you still can't find me, find Claire Williamson on LinkedIn and you'll be able
0: to click through from there. You will be able to, which is where I found you. Because <laughs> we're talking to Shane who I had on the podcast a few months ago. Who is also fantastic? Yeah, she is. And she was amazing because she's running her business from Glenorchy. So it's like there's no one around there. <laughs> so Absolutely. it's very inspiring. Um, this has been a real delight, Claire. Thank you so much for being part of the show. I really appreciated having you on. It's been Especially because you know you're a podcaster too which is always a bit threatening for another podcaster so you know i know right. it's quite scary
1: being on the other side of it but rachel i have really enjoyed the conversation
0: thank you so much and i will we um everyone else keep listening i'm just gonna do a little bit around uh, marketing and a real business and things like that at the end so just keep listening to that but otherwise thanks so much claire fantastic thank you there's a few things I want to bring up from this conversation with Claire. I really enjoyed talking to her, and it was nice talking to someone else who I think, too, likes having a range of things, a portfolio career, which I think a lot of us are starting to do where we have more than one thing going on. Um, as someone who likes shutting new objects, that would be me, um, I like that idea of being able to have a couple of things that are going on. But what I really liked about this was that – there is no desire to mass market from Clear. And I think for us as small business owners, a lot of the messaging we get is around how we should scale up and make something really big. But there's a real benefit in sticking to your quality and small quantity guns and keep something more sustainable and smaller without feeling like that means your business isn't a real business. So if that's you, if you sometimes battle with that, I want to remind you that you get to choose the business that you have. You get to choose the goals you have. And as long as you're meeting those goals and the ones that sustain the life that you want, that's the business for you, which could be scaling up. It could be but it might not be. If you want to discuss this podcast or talk about it and want to come and do that with other people who listen, do come and be part of our Map It marketing group on Facebook. It's there for any small business owner wanting to ask questions. You can ask questions with me in too, as and marketing strategies, and I'll answer them for you for free in there. So you can come and do that about your marketing. Or um, you can also just come and check out more of our podcast episodes if you're new to this podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please do remember to rate and review it. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. It's going to be me talking to you about marketing. If you love what you heard today, be sure to hit subscribe. And if you loved this episode in particular, I'd love it if you shared it on social media. Remember to tag me in so I can say thank you. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.